Uh, so welcome back everyone to the, the R2 cast uh, number three. Uh, so far we've had we've had the ethical butcher, um, we've had uh, the chairman of RSABI, uh, and, and now today we've got uh, someone I would say it's got the, the coolest name I've ever heard so far and a very cool interest as well. Uh, that's Jim Pantaleo. So just, you there Jim? Yes sir, Wallace Curry, how are you? Very well, very well. Pleasure, pleasure to have you on. And uh, as you as you'll hear for Jim from Jim's voice, uh, he's not from Scotland. He's not from England. He's actually from. <laughs> <or is> it, <laughs> he's from. from not, is it Canada or the states you're from, Jim? Southern California, my friend. Southern California. Southern California. Don't want to where, cause a battle there. <laughs> that's right. Where the palm trees sway and everyone's beautiful. Just kidding. Well. Yeah, no, you, well, I mean, we were talking just before we started recording this, and uh, I'm sitting here, and there's sort of almost a blizzard going on outside, and Jim says, you know, he's just been out with his good lady for a lovely walk in the sun, 60 degrees, so that was lovely to hear. Um, yes. But uh, I'm just going to quickly, uh, uh, what did you say, talk about the elephant in the room. There's no uh, no video here, it's just audio, um, which for everyone on watching the podcast or listening to podcasts on like Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcast, Podcast, that sort of thing. That won't be a major issue. But if you're watching it on YouTube, there's not really going to be anything to see. Um, just going to have to sit back and listen, unfortunately, because Scotland, California, we're having a bit of a bandwidth issue and we'd actually started and uh, we found out we, we weren't actually in the same room together. So uh, Jim got kicked. So started again, just audio. Um, so yeah, thank you for coming along. And I just want to quickly ask... Um, it, there's been quite good viewership on these so far. I really want to keep pushing them. I think it's good for you guys to hear, meet people in farming, people in agriculture across the world. And uh, if you guys could just subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow Spotify, that'd be great. And also jump onto Facebook and Instagram, Rural to Kitchen pages, and just uh, follow there, follow me there, and, and you'll be updated for what's happening. And also, if you've got any ideas for folk you want to be on, get in touch with me and, and I'll try and make a lot of them happen. Um, who we have, as I said, obviously we've got Jim today and, and what Jim's here to talk about is vertical farming, which we'll get into as we go on. But um, first off, Jim, t tell us a bit about yourself. Who, who is Jim Pantaleo? What, what's your history? <clears throat> yes, Wallace. So I am, uh, as I mentioned, Southern California guy. And uh, my history is, been in terms of my, my work history, I, um, I spent 20 plus years, about 25 years in technology about half of that with the large, well-known technology company, Hewlett-Packard. And um, when I hit a certain age, about six years ago, I uh, sort of had a talk with myself and I, I wanted to pursue something else besides technology. And I stumbled upon indoor vertical farming. So f growing food in this particular case, using only LED lights in fully controlled environments. So whether that's a container or in my experience, warehouse growing, um, it, it, it came upon me in the summer of 2014. And I spent an entire year investigating the nascent industry of indoor vertical farming, reached out to every person that I could who was credible, whether they were an operator of indoor farms or an academic at any of uh, our universities. Um, I went to conferences uh, and, and did as much as I could to learn and immerse myself in the subject. And in fact, after that first year in the summer of 2015, I got my first three pro bono gigs that I did remotely. And one of them was actually um, with uh, 
Intelligent Growth Solutions, who, as you know, is on the campus of the James Hutton Institute in St. Andrews. And that was with Sir Henry Aykroyd, uh, who was the founder of it. And I, I don't believe Henry's associated with IGS anymore, but IGS, uh, hopefully as your listeners will learn, are doing great things in Scotland. Fast forward uh, I, after that first summer and those pro bono gigs, I eventually got a job at an indoor farm here in Southern California. And over the next two and a half years, I did everything from, gosh, business development to actually being a farmer on in the farm um, to ultimately running it as the general manager. During all this time, though, I was sort of expanding the network and writing. I wrote for Urban Ag News, which is still a, a very good uh uh, online resource for indoor farming and controlled environment ag that's urban ag news and then also got involved with hosting and organizing a number of conferences um, several in panama the international congress on controlled environment agriculture and then also the one i'm still involved with here in the united states which is indoor AgCon, which is a gathering of indoor farmers each year in Las Vegas. Unfortunately, the last few years we've had to postpone because of COVID. Uh, but what am I doing now? Uh, I am uh, holed up here in Southern California. I'm not on a farm at the moment, but I am working um, on behalf of a, a few really cool entities, uh, the, that being the University of California, which is involved in a collaboration with the Dutch government. And we're, we're all about accelerating technology in the space and how the UC uh, can help as they've done for over a hundred years with California farmers, as we know. Uh, I'm also involved in a very unofficial way as a ambassador to industry for NASA and their crop science uh, uh, group at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And then finally, I'm consulting to a number of um, multinational companies who have technology and products that they'd like to get into the indoor vertical farming world and are trying to uh, enter that market, if you will. So. I'm still in the game, even though I, my real goal um, in the future, if you will, is to get back to a farm and get back to plants and people. But that is uh, what I've been doing for the last six plus years, and it's really been a blast. Quite a change that, from HP into vertical farming. Yeah, yeah, big, big change. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely that sort of technical uh, advanced side to both of them, but um, totally different industries. But uh, yeah, I mean, that just shows sort of the thing, you know, we, we hear in farming, it's it's, a, it's an industry that you can't go into if, if you're not in it. And uh, albeit it has its barriers and it's a tough industry to get into, I, th I think you're living proof there, Jim, that it doesn't need to be that you've only ever worked in tractors and with cattle before to mean that you're going to be able to get into, into farming. That's absolutely um, right, Wallace. And when you look at uh, disciplines in modern farming or indoor vertical farming, you know, you name it, whether it's engineering, computer science, automation, robotics, biology, et cetera, et cetera. There's always transferable skills. And, and I, again, I was no spring chicken, still ain't, but it, it, there's always a chance. So, yes, amen to that. Yeah, it's funny you say still ain't the spring chicken. I hear it's not the type of thing that comes back to us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 true, and you know I've got quite a lot of young young viewers, maybe not young young, but young to the extent they're looking at choosing a career and whatnot. And uh, it's it's a, it's a trying time, you know. Education puts a lot of pressure, 
you know, schools and whatnot that you have to know what you're doing exactly. And the truth is, you don't. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's good to hear that. Yes. Um, but uh, you know, we've been talking about vertical farming. We've we've mentioned it for for a for a minute or so now, and uh, we've just sort of used it as a word. And, and a lot of the people listening might not really know what that is. I um, when I studied my masters at, at Glasgow Uni last year. Uh, I focused on a few sort of different things in farming, entomophagy, sort of the, the, the prospect of eating eating insects and, and that sort of thing, and vertical farming and precision agriculture. And I focused more on the entomophagy and precision agriculture and never really got to focus heavily on vertical farming. So I've got an idea of what it is and sort of know the, 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 the fundamentals of it. But what, what would your description of vertical farming uh, be for the viewers, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. So it's just as the word is used, vertical meaning stacked produce, if you will, or a stacked grow system where your produce can grow up vertically, if you will. And that could be anywhere between 10 feet high to 20 plus feet high. Um, and the, the key thing that I, I use, and again, it's semantics, but indoor vertical farming um, is is in a total controlled environment no natural sunlight and photo photosynthesis occurs only through the use of led lights of course we use liquid nutrients uh and or you know uh, various methodologies of delivering those liquid nutrients and we use the words hydroponics obviously we use the word aeroponics which is a misting of if you will of those liquid nutrients upon the root structure of the plant or aquaponics is another word we use which incorporates the use of fish for fertilization as well as a secondary crop and so i i, I know it's a it's a big word but indoor vertical farming is growing food and or other plant matter cannabis etc using only led lights liquid nutrients in a fully total controlled environment atmosphere or at, uh, agriculture obviously known as tcea everybody knows cea controlled environment ag the t is total controlled so that's how i really try to define indoor vertical farming is that no natural sun fully controlled environments and contain think containers shipping containers think warehouses etc yeah brilliant yeah couldn't have summed it up there myself obviously and the, the sort of the idea of vertical farming has always been in my head the idea of making acres making hectares um so where, where you've got a space in a in a warehouse of say half an acre then if you put six levels of that you've got three acres so if that puts it into a, a simpler term for you guys with absolutely ones, yeah yeah <laughs> it's funny you should say that uh, wallace because our first farm was one eighth of an acre but when we did the mathematics based on the stacking or the vertical nature, our, our yield was was equivalent to 16, one six acres. So just the example of that's, stacking. So you had 80 levels. You must have had 80 levels. We had uh, roughly 20 levels, but we were in a, a quarter acre or an eighth of an acre footprint. And it went up about 20 feet in the air. And so when you flattened all that out, your output or your yield was the equivalent to 16 acres. So it really is a commentary on space and space saving, stacking, yield, etc. 
So, so what I take from that is is the 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 actual yield of a specific area is higher than that specific area in a field. Am I picking that up right? Well, what you're doing is you're saying if I took this field and I parsed it out and layered it on top of each other, there there is your equation of how oh, you okay. how much yield you're going to get. So, just in your mind's eye, look at your field, parse it out into you know maybe eight eight different plots and then stack those on top of each other and there you go of course the key thing to remember on indoor vertical farming beyond being stacked is that you have what we turn the coin or coin the term closed loop system where you have a closed loop system you don't have runoff therefore your water savings as as you've heard many times are extraordinary over field farming and the, the figure has been used of upwards of 90 plus percent savings of water over field farming which is a very fair number and folks obviously you'll see transpiration happen and of course the uptake of, of the plant itself and how uh, how the plant of course uptakes the, the liquid nutrients but when you think about water savings and that resource, indoor vertical farming, of course, ticks off a lot of boxes in, in that area, Wallace. So is, is, it a, is it a completely circular, I can never say that word, circular economy? There's no losses, in, you know, no gaseous losses, no liquid losses, nothing. There's a completely and completely and totally, I guess you've said, totally controlled. You certainly have losses, and again, the word transpiration is like a plant sweating. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you, of course, there are method and methodologies to recapture that, which of course it turns into humidity. You want to you want to ensure that your humidity levels are are good. There's some technology out there um, that can recapture, uh, you know, atmosphere. It's called atmospheric water generation. Think of what we call here in the states a swamp cooler where you, you have the ability to capture moisture in the air. And in this particular case, an atmospheric water generation system in an indoor farm can can go ahead and, and filter that water, and then you could use it and drive it back into your system. I've actually been a part of some beta testing of some atmospheric water generation systems, whereby we were able to capture about 120 gallons of water a day and drive that back into our system, which was actually about 50% of our daily water um, for that particular system at that particular time of growing. So it's, there's some really cool technology out there in terms of environmental wow. controls and how one does control the environment. Oh, that's, that's good. I'm, I'm sitting here like a kid on Christmas Eve, or to be honest, like myself <laughs> on Christmas Eve. Um, and just, just for my British viewers, uh, 120 gallons is in the ballpark of about, 100, about 515 litres. Um, Thank you, my friend. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> maths and conversion is like the only thing I'm up on. <laughs> well, we, try, we, we tried to do it in the 70s in the United States, but we're too damn lazy, so, so sorry. <laughs> you really, still use that confused an imperial system, but it doesn't matter. We work, in, <laughs> we work in ones, tens, hundreds, and a thousands. You guys work in like 4,844s for acres. Oh, God, it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you've still got a famous song, you know, 500, that one famous song. Uh, forget you, yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the two brothers. Now, why didn't they call it 500 kilometers? <laughs> well, because that's not as long. The, 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 the idea of uh, 800 and what will it be, 838 kilometers doesn't have the same ring to it, I don't think. <laughs> but uh, no, that's no. That's I, a fantastic song, by the way. 
It's, it's a good one, and I must just quickly say to the, to the listeners that uh, this is not an ad for the Proclaimers. <laughs> there they are, that's right, the Proclaimers. Not, not a paid ad. Um, yeah, no, good stuff. Uh, yeah. It's 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 great, actually. I, I, I love listening to tech and whatnot and, and how it all works, because, I mean, I'm not a computer guy. Um, you know, if, if you guys could see... I should actually, I say this every day, uh, if you could see my setup for running this podcast, I've got two folders with some books and my iPad sat on top, so... Um, yeah, technology and all that fancy stuff is not my forte, so it's really cool to hear what is out there. Um, I just wanted one more question before I moved on. You, you talked about liquid nutrients. What what nutrients are they? Is that you know your NP and K, or is there are you absolutely hundred percent Wallace? Absolutely. So all your essential nutrients that de- again depending on your crop, because some crops actually need a little bit more or a little bit less of something. But yeah, for sure, ab- ab- absolutely, and that. Um, that liquid nutrients <clears throat> can actually be augmented by uh, other things um, like what what I and others refer to as a tea brew, where it's a conglomeration, if you will, of you know worm castings, molasses, uh, okay. uh, sea kelp, but just a rich biological uh, soup, if you will, that can also be added to your uh, to your dosing system, if you will. But, um, yeah, lots of different ways to do that. And of course, you know, we, we talked about aquaponics and I am not a pro with aquaponics, but you know, there must be extraordinary care taken with aquaponics to mitigate any foodborne pathogens. And that's, you know, we talk about E. coli and salmonella and those are areas that must the growers must take extreme care. Of course, there's another pathogen called listeria, and listeria can often be found in the gills uh, of of fish in large aquaponic systems. So there's a lot lot to it, and it's a balance. It's art and science. And um, but ultimately, as as one would always say, indoor vertical farming is not an answer to outdoor farming. Rather, it's a supplement. And it could, could answer some of our challenges, whether that's food miles and, and carbon issues uh, or, or hyper-local food growing, growing where people live, in other words, in major metropolitan areas, et cetera. And so you'll see all that as being a big push behind what's happened. And of course, when you think about COVID, Wallace, you know, it pulled the curtain back on food security and supply chain challenges challenges around the world and so fresh produce and food for people is 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 paramount and essential as we say i, I like that quote I like that quote about outdoor farming that's cool um it one thing i've just realized i've not actually touched upon is um when you were talking about nitrogen there i was it was running through my head like if you integrated legumes into what you had would you be able to fix nitrogen that way um, and then i realized we hadn't actually talked what crops do you grow with vertical farming? <clears throat> yeah, good question, good question. So, you know, for the last 10 years, five, five and a half years since I've been in it and years before then, really is the leafy green culinary herb crop. And of course, on the cannabis side, you do see major, major grows of, of you know, c- cannabis. Um, but in terms of food production right now, and it, there are some reasons behind it, having to do perhaps with light and photosynthesis and the biology of a plant in order to, to, to go through its its all the phases of it if we're talking for example about fruiting plants uh which is 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 becoming a is it, it's becoming a, a 
a possibility in a very real way, and I'll touch on that, but when we talk about leafy greens, we're talking about lettuces, again, culinary herbs, basil, etc. Next phase of this this life, this world of indoor farming will be about growing fruiting plants. And when we say fruiting plants, we're saying again, no natural sunlight, only grown under LED lights and things like strawberries and peppers and cucumbers, uh, etc. And of course, the, the big story now for your listeners to, to Google is the current um, or recent partnership between Plenty which is the very large, well-funded farm here in California, and Driscoll's Berries. Driscoll's and Driscoll's are a global berry uh, company, if you will, and they're based here in California. There, um, this is all public, of course. They just signed a one hundred and fifty million dollar partnership agreement for um, Plenty to work on growing strawberries in their indoor farms, and so that's a wonderful. Uh, threshold for us to come to certainly that takes money there are some stories though wallace that i can share with your listeners that there are some farms that are growing fruiting crops indoors and i'll give the great example of oishi berry o-i-s-h-i-i berry in new york city they're growing strawberries that are um examples of a japanese style strawberry grown in the highlands of, of japan <clears throat> japan where they have very cold nights and, and and mild days but those strawberries are five dollars a piece and they're not cost comparative but they are doing it so to your question about what crops can be grown right now it's leafies in the future it'll be it'll be fruiting crops we we need to get there and we will get there in terms of led lighting and again environmental controls and how you manage the biology of, of, a, of a plant to, to have a true leaf and then a flower. And then, oh, oh by the way, introduce a pollinator. And then after the flowering, uh, you have your fruit. And of course, Oishi Berry has a neat YouTube that if your listeners go out uh, and look at it, they'll, they'll, not, no, they'll not see, but they'll hear how Oishi um, releases bees into their uh, containers so as to pollinate the strawberry plant. So all very cool, all new, moving forward in the future. And, and again, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, that, that's cool. I, I knew about the greens and whatnot. And I have heard um, cereals growing for the stock to eat, to be uh, eaten as a, or for, for cattle to eat as a green stem. Um, not heard much about it, but I've heard about it. Uh, yeah, fodder. But, yeah, berries I was unaware of. Uh, that's that's interesting. It's quite crazy, actually, that they can do that. And I have quite I've, I've, I've watched a, a a team of guys here on Aaron actually that the island I'm from. I was telling you about Jim uh, called Aaron Eco Savvy do quite a lot of cool work about sort of sustainable production and whatnot. And they did this film night on uh, basically the transport of bees, and uh, it was something I'd never even considered. And then you've obviously mentioned it there, so yeah, good stuff. Um, the the idea of of growing lettuce and sort of just growing it. And it's it's ready and you mentioned getting rid of food miles and i was thinking well how could you do that but i, I realize now you could supermarkets could almost have their vertical farm as part of the building and then there's no need to sort of bring in lettuces and that sort of product that can be grown in this system Absolutely. from any farther than about 20 yards um, yeah yeah and you're seeing that now my friend you're seeing supermarkets procure containers 
have a have their their uh, produce produce man or woman uh, manage that that uh, um, container, if you will, as a grower. You're also seeing companies that are putting units, grow units into stores, and then I'm speaking specifically about InFarm out of Germany. And InFarm, of course, not only do they have those units in the buildings, but they also have farms nearby that are indoors that can provide fresh product into those units. And they're like, um, you know, lar large um, glass encased, um, I, I don't want to say kiosk, but they're they're uh, in in store, if you will, now. So you're seeing that kind of movement. And I mean, like, yeah, you you can I don't I can't see a fault in that, uh, apart from the only potential emissions given off by vertical farming. Like that's the the emissions it's given off, if however many, uh, are surely mitigated by the the the. Uh, diesel emissions from transport so that's got to yep. be a massive you know it absolutely hyper cool. fresh as they say hyper fresh hyper local hyper fresh much like myself um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so, so we've talked about um sort of what what um vertical farming is and uh, you you actually mentioned there jim you, you weren't an expert on aquaponics and um, more sort of focusing on on uh, hydroponics and that sort of thing um but could you give me you've obviously mentioned and, and quite a lot of us know that aquaponics involves fish could you sort of say how that works though how, how that sort of how that transpires into reality i guess well yeah absolutely so imagine you have a very large 500 plus gallon tank or several of those you purchase fish like tilapia or or, or others and uh, you know you ultimately you're able to and from a process perspective um take the effluence or the fecal matter and allow that to be incorporated into your dosing system that goes back into the plant to the point where you know you're those are your those are how you're feeding that's how you're feeding your and then so ultimately you have that that modus operandi of feeding a plant but also ultimately you're getting two crops you're getting a veg and then you're getting a protein because of course you'll have to call those fish as as they procreate etc and so but i want you to know this is that in in this world of indoor farming yes they talk about aquaponics it's not ubiquitous although i would point your listeners to a a, a a good farm here in the united states in new york in brooklyn called upward farms they're the for, former eden works but they just changed their name to upward farms and they got a, a nice new round of funding they're focused on aquaponics and and they're going to be doing good things but think also about the other two plus methodologies so hydroponics obviously is the most ubiquitous where You'll have ebb and flow or deep water culture, again, where your roots will hang in the, in, in the liquid or the liquid will be moving by. So it's constantly uh, touching the roots. Again, an aeroponic methodology, which uh, the most famous version of that is through Aero Farms in New York and, and New Jersey and their methodology of growing, which is how they, they'll seed a tarp, if you will, which is made out of recycled plastic bottles. And then below that tarp, when you're root structure starts growing the roots will be sprayed with a mist a nutrient 
laden mist. And then so there's your three hydroponic, aeroponic, aquaponic. I like to always say there's one more because this in fact is how I grew at my first farm. And that one more is drip irrigation where the plants actually would come around on a track on the ceiling. Think about like a dry cleaners, you know, your, 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 your shirts yeah, yeah, yeah. around and they would stop at a lighting station and go through you know, about 60 feet worth of lighting. And then they would actually stop completely at a watering station where spigots would come out, uh, drip water into a channel on the carrier, if you will, where the plant was. And then the plant would uptake that water through a series of channels in its tray. And so that's your typical drip irrigation. It's not hydroponics. It's not aquaponics. It's not aeroponics. So it's all just semantics and methodologies. But those are your basics, if you will, Wallace, in terms of how folks are growing indoors now. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've learned something there. I never even considered drip irrigation there. Yep. Uh, obviously hear about it in circular systems and, and sort of outdoor agriculture, especially in Africa and stuff like that. But uh, yes. yeah, no, interesting. Um, so I, I guess we've sort of covered what, what vertical farming is, what, what sides of it there is, what it can do, what, what it can't do, that sort of thing. But um, there's, there's one thing that stands in the way of, of a lot of people getting into it um, and that's as you guys would say dollar uh, pounds over here it's it's not cheap I assume but uh, say say I wanted to set up a cabin right just a, one of those containers you guys are talking about um, what sort of initial investment would I be looking at <clears throat> yeah so if you were to purchase one already constructed and ready to rock and roll those can be anywhere between sixty thousand dollars uh, upwards of $125,000. There are a handful of these container builders, at least here in this country, and I could I could name off a few right now. Uh, I, I'd, I'd hate to get in trouble with anybody in terms of <laughs> me being an, an endorser, so I'm not endorsing anybody, but I will rattle off a few names. So clearly, Freight Farms in the Boston area, Freight Farms, they're doing very good work. Grotainer in the Dallas area. Urban Crop Solutions out of Belgium. Urban Crop Solutions. And then the folks at Sun on Bio just started something called ARC, A-R-C-H, I think, or A-R-C. Sun on Bio, S-A-N-A-N-B-I-O. And they're a Chinese headquarter company with offices uh, in Europe as well as the U.S. So there are those folks um, that are, are, are building those with my, my friend Trip Williamson, Crop Box uh, out of North Carolina. So you got a lot of those guys. But let me say this, if I can, Wallace, about starting small. Because everybody's written, I've, I've dropped these names, Plenty, Bowery, Farming, Aero, Far Aero Farms. These are multi-million dollar large-scale operations. I would, uh, yeah. I would, I would recommend that if folks want to start this, you know, listen, you can get a container uh, and and do some of your own work actually, or you know, there, I, I mentioned the numbers, but also, you know, just a small space that might be available to you, and small space being, and help me with the meters here, anywhere between a thousand square feet and five thousand square feet, you know, nothing massive, and you know. I like to give an example, a real-world example of a of a company that, that started very small. That example is, a, I consider him a friend of mine now, and I really 
I really appreciate his story. His name is Dan Albert. Dan Albert, a number of years ago, along with his wife, started a little indoor farm in their backyard in a shed. And that shed was probably 200 square feet, 300 square feet. Help me with the meters, Wallace. In so that, 100, 100, I'll just, I'll just say 1,000 square feet, give or take 93 square meters. Sorry. There you go, my friend. So <laughs> relatively small, obviously small. He spent maybe three or four thousand dollars on some lights, and maybe a thousand or two dollars on some um, nutrient film technique NFT trays, if you will, uh, or, or, uh, gutters and trays. Excuse me, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the actual system he had, but long story short, Dan started growing microgreens in this little shed in his backyard, and. He was able to create some marketing and some packaging, and it would walk around to Seattle restaurants. And in a year's period of time, he had over 50 customers. And over a two and a half year period of time, he ended up selling farm box greens to one of Seattle's and the West Coast's largest, most robust produce distributors called Charlie's Produce. They're a multi-million dollar produce distributor in the Northwest. Dan moved the farm from the shed to the Charlie's Produce campus. He actually was able to exit about a year and a half, two years ago. And that is a wonderful story of how one can start small, organically create a, a great customer base, and then in this particular case, get bought out by somebody larger. And Dan, by the way, worked there for a while and, and kept his title, and, and then he's now doing something else. But so those are great examples of starting small. So I'd always want your listeners absolutely 100% walls to know that they can start small and, and, and grow from there, literally and figuratively. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, maybe if anyone wants to buy this podcast, I'm, I'm willing to talk. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I've just come up with a wee name when you were talking there uh, for, for a vertical farming company. What about Vertigrow? Um, <clears throat> maybe that's already taken. I believe Vertigro is taken. Oh, I'm so <laughs> proud of that. I was thinking it We're in Italy here. Where is Vertigro? They're somewhere. It, mu it must be. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so so there's there's definitely costs involved, but um, if, if you're willing to start small and, and take the time to build up, that, that possibility is there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, much, much like anything, really. I mean, the, the, we, we have this idea of vertical farming and, and the sort of aero farms and the likes. You know, you look at it and it's like this golf course of a building. <clears throat> just full of tech like you, you that's not how you have to start um no no and so that yeah. is happening now but that's that there's a lot of capital that comes into play and not that listen if depending on anyone's taste for risk and or or, or or capital in terms of access to lack of or you know access it it, it all depends so but I, I would say this wallace is that uh, indoor vertical farming is not for the faint of heart. You absolutely must be surrounded by smart people uh, and, and a lot of key sort of roles, if you will, in terms of, you know, smart people. You need a good plant physiologist. You, you, you absolutely need a, a great grower. You need good assistant growers. You need great, great crew. You know, every, every area of it is, is not unlike uh, any business where you need great people um that'll always in my humble opinion always move any business forward people are it people and plants yeah 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 absolutely um 
I would throw animals in there as well, but that's that's, <laughs> a, that's a competitive audience for you. There you go. <laughs> no, um, I I follow a lot of sort of stuff like this on on social media and YouTube and whatnot. And one thing that caught my eye last week was uh, the brother of the recently named richest man on the planet, Elon Musk, um, is looking at going into vertical farming, which made me really think, you know, what what's the future of vertical farming? Like, there's been these fantastic changes lately over the last decades and whatnot, but what, what do you see happening for vertical farming in 20, 30 years? <clears throat> yeah, so not only is Kimball Musk, Elon's brother, uh, thinking about going into it, but he is in it, and he's been in it, in it for many years. In fact, okay. he's, he's the co-founder of um, Square Roots, and Square Roots is in Brooklyn, and they are a container farm that is a series, I believe, of about 10 containers, and it's run by Square Roots farmers. I, I think they either lease that space or something, and, and they uh, do great work. Their CEO is is who I consider a, an industry friend. That's Tobias Peggs. And so Tobias, uh, who's actually from the UK, uh, and Kimball, Musk have done good work and are, are attempting to, again, bring controlled environment ag uh, to the U.S. So to your point, where is it? So here, here, here it is, and I want you to think about it like this. So we have, uh, you know, we in the world, we have supply chains and there's supply routes. And there are those that, that, that supply, in this particular case, fruits and veg. And where do they supply it to? They supply it to major retail locations and other large distribution centers so those retail locations can you know be a part of the supply chain so here's the example and this is it's happening now and i'm and i want to lay it out there and so and i'm going I'm to use the example that may or may not be popular walmart is our world's largest um retailer everybody knows that in the united states i believe there's roughly 47 46, 48, 47 Walmart distribution centers. If you think about supply chain, and and, and I, quite frankly, I know I know this for a fact because Walmart uh, uh, has made these moves and has has had and has personnel that are working towards this. And this being, Walmart would like nothing more to have help with their supply chains near their distribution centers to the point where some of the skews can be provided, some of the leafy greens, the bag salads, clamshells, herbs, etc. Some of those skews that may have to travel miles and miles and miles. So if you think about it, and here's the great example in reality, there is an indoor vertical farm, which actually is a glass house. So it's it's got supplemental lighting and it's indoors, but it's got natural sunlight too. It's in Cleborne, Texas. Cleborne, Texas is 50 miles south of Dallas. They're called Eden Green Technologies. Eden Green, E-D-E-N, Green Technologies. They are literally 2,000 feet from the Walmart Distribution Center in Cleborne, Texas. They are involved in providing that DISTI Center with different branded name products or other products. They're, they're not selling it under their name, I, I don't believe. But that is an example, Wallace, of how farming can can go to to where people are, but also can go to the where those DISTI centers are. And I believe that in the future, you're going to see indoor farms set up shop near these hubs of distribution and tie their horse to the wagon of a wall art 
a Whole Foods, etc. Let us not think too much further even about the last thing I said, which is Whole Foods. As you may know, Bezos Expeditions and Jeff Bezos do own Whole Foods. Bezos Expeditions is also an investor in Plenty. And as I mentioned, Plenty's, their first farm is in South San Francisco. They're expanding to Compton here in the Los Angeles area now as we speak. Plenty is probably about 10 miles from the Whole Foods Distribution Center in Emeryville, California, which is just across the San Francisco Bay from where this farm is. So that play, if you think about Whole Foods, and oh, by the way, they have a farm, and that farm's just about 10 miles from that Whole Foods Disney Center. That, I believe, is part of how this is all going to play out in the future. Whether it's a major retailer or even further walls, major beverage manufacturers, if you will, you know, uh, Bolt House Farms, Odwalla, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, all those guys have various brands and SKUs, if you will, of green drink or other kinds of beverages where the inputs, if you will, could be everything that's grown in a farm like spinach, kale, alfalfa, barley, wheat, grass, etc. So, Think about this, the supply chain from a beverage manufacturer to their inputs, their ingredients, and how an indoor farm can play in that space. So the future is hugely wide open, and um, these are just a small example of how I believe supply chain, and distribution, etc. can be met. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I mean, like, but superstores and even before that shops even before that just just plain old farmers markets looked at bringing the food to the consumer but we're now exactly. trying to bring the farm, we're now trying to bring the farm to the consumer so um, exactly yeah absolutely great yeah it's, it's really cool really cool um so i mean you know jim we've we've chatted there for probably about but half an hour or something like that um really interesting i could i could chat all day uh, about vertical farming and all entailed but um I think you've covered everything very comprehensively, and uh, I'll, I'll uh, what I'll do is I'll make sure to, if if you were happy with this, um, if anyone had any questions that they put through to me, I could pass on to you and and, and revert those questions back at some time. But um, absolutely, pe- people that have watched the podcast, listened to podcast, and listened to my sort of people in farming uh, interviews that I did before the podcast was a thing, uh, know that no one yet is is able to have got away without telling me uh, one. What would they have, what would their tips be for anyone going into to the industry which you've kind of covered but maybe you could give us a succinct answer to that one and uh, oh. also where do you see yourself in five years <laughs> yeah absolutely so it's ultimately about who you are as a person and what you feel your your gifts are and what you want to give to this world and i know that sounds esoteric and possibly even cloaked in religiosity and i don't mean to do that but we all have a purpose and for each person that's hearing my voice right now you've got to know what your purpose is and then ultimately it's like anything and you've heard this a million times if you find that purpose and you know you love it and you're passionate about it and you know you're helping yourself in the world and your family your friends your environment your community then you'll do it for free and you'll do it because you love to do it and ultimately that's i think every human being wants to get to that point that they could I mean, and I don't think about the money, but that you can make money and out of something that you absolutely love 
And oh, by the way, you're really helping the world too. So that's, that's my message on that one. But I would say, where do I see myself in five years? You know, I'm, I'm so lucky to, to, to have had the experiences that I've had. I want to continue to build on the relationships with the University of California. I would love for California to at some point have a, a, a indoor ag center of excellence, if you will, as led by the university. I would love to continue my relationship with NASA and to see things like the moon outpost come to fruition and how we're going to feed and grow plants on the moon first and then Mars, uh, of course. And then, you know, I love, as I've mentioned, plants and people to be around plants and people to me is really critical. And I, and I want to grow old, real old around plants and people. So uh, I'd love to also at some point be, be back on a farm, if you will, wake up at four o'clock in the morning and, and go talk to plants uh, and people. And so that's really where I kind of see myself in five years, Wallace. So I just really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you today. And I hope that if anything, we, you and I together have inspired some people to do something different. And God knows, you look out the window right now, ain't going to be any sunshine in Scotland uh, for a day or three. So, you know, go indoors, turn on some some LED lights and grow some plants and uh, and have a good time with it and sell it to your neighbors. Keep it <laughs> Keep rubbing in the weather thing there, Jim. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's uh, so. So, what to take from that uh, for those of you that are listening is um, Jim basically wants you to do a job for him for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. That, that's so true. I mean, the, the job I'm in uh, as a lecturer is the sort of idea of going in. It's not I'm going in to, to make money. It's generally the, the love of the job. And if it, you're right, if you can find something and that happens to be vertical farming and you, you feel that way about it, then there, there can't be a, a better tip, really, can there? Um, no, sir. No, and uh, you, you thanked me there. Thank you for coming on. Um, it took Jim and I, God, about 45 emails to try and work out <laughs> what time we were going to do this. I'm like, so what time are you at? He told me very confidently what time it was, and then two days later, he was like, "You sent me the wrong invite," and I'm like, "I'm sure I haven't." <laughs> uh, but but we got there in the end, and yeah, as you say, um, hopefully post COVID, whether whether it's in Scotland, California, or elsewhere, we can meet up and have a beer together sometime or something like that, and that that would be you cool. Know it. Really chat about this more in depth. But um, you know if it. you've anything you else to it. say, uh, fire on, Jim. Yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I am half Irish. We say Aaron Gobra, Ireland forever. Y'all say Scotland forever. What do you say? What's your rallying call? Well, it's technically Alba Gobrath, but I mean, I'm, I, I don't really know, to be honest. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're from Wales. Yeah, well, exactly. But if you wonder why Jim's saying that, I'm pretty sure my name is Welsh for foreigner, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, it says... It says, it says that on Google. I know nothing about myself. Like... <laughs> uh, so, well, Wallace, I appreciate you very much, my friend. You stay well, and uh, and I appreciate it, and I'll look forward to uh, listening to the 